Rusty Quill presents. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Guilt grows like a weed in the hearts of sinners. It's hard to imagine anybody who's never wronged another person. At some point, all of us are going to make a decision we'll have trouble living with for the rest of our lives. And, even if it's a small thing, a trifle, it'll sit with you in the dark hours of the night, stroking the skin at the back of your neck to keep you awake. Tonight's story is about just such a feeling. A young boy in a bad neighborhood does something awful. And as he tries to move on from the deed, he finds it haunting him at every step, never letting up for a second. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about a book I read recently. If We Were Villains is uh, quite possibly the best book I've read in years. Set at a prestigious fine arts conservatory in the American Midwest, it follows a group of seven friends through their final year as student thespians. Tempers flare and tragedy strikes as the high-pressure environment and the friends' own strained relationships come to a head over the year. The story borrows heavily from and is steeped deeply in Shakespeare, 
so much so that the bard absolutely pervades every nook and hollow of the story. But it's also a thrilling, beautiful novel with a well-written cast of characters. The ebook goes on sale for like four bucks this month, so go ahead and check it out. It's an absolute must-read. I'd also like to recommend a podcast I started listening to recently, the Canadian True Crime Podcast. It's a straightforward true crime podcast about bad people doing bad things, but with the twist that there is no twist. It's just straight-up good reporting on certifiably awful things by hosts just as concerned with the stories of the victims. Canadian True Crime's host, Christy Lee, has a knack for great reportage that comes off clean and direct. Her most recent story was a four-parter on Robert Picton, an infamous Vancouver serial killer known as the Pig Farm Killer. She does a great job not only talking about the crimes of the victims, but also Picton's horrific upbringing by his mother and the Vancouver local government's absolute mishandling of the case, which allowed dozens of women to fall into Picton's clutches over the years. She's on iTunes and wherever else you find podcasts, so check her out. Now, without further ado, tonight's story, The Green Man. No son in the alley. No son in the alley, and the man's name was Lamont, or maybe Daniel. Micah didn't know. Seven or eight of them had gathered there in the evening shadows, more in the windows and hanging out broken doorways to see the show. The man didn't give Micah a defiant look or beg or anything like he thought he would. He just sat there, slack-jawed with his hands palm up at his sides. Keens told him to do it, and he did, squinting an eye closed and leveling the oily twenty-two at the man's stomach. It made a few little pops when he pulled the trigger and Micah thought it felt alive in his hands, wriggling like a mouse. The man's slack-jawed expression erupted into pain and he fell on his side, digging rents in the dirt and slush with his heels. Finish it, Keene said, and Micah walked up to the man, hoping his face was set tight and cold like the other boys' faces. If he faltered now, if he failed, he'd be like a wounded alley dog. They'd fall on him like rats and tear him to pieces. He wanted this. He told himself he wanted this. He pointed the little gun, a bullshit little pop gun his brother had called it before the police had dragged him away. He pointed the little gun at the man's twisted, screaming face and pulled the trigger. It clicked and nothing happened. He looked around at the faces, dark and light and pouring from every crack and cranny like worms from old meat. He fiddled with the gun and pulled the trigger again. Let me see that, Keene said, taking the gun from him. The man had staggered onto his knees, bloodshot, junky eyes scouring the surroundings for some rat hole. Blood soaked the front of his shirt, shading the filthy cotton a darker brown and slicking his forearms where he clutched his stomach. Micah felt his lips turn up in disgust when he saw the urine running down the man's leg. Keens fiddled with the gun on his own, turning it over and over in his hands like he was some sort of expert. Of all of them, he was the oldest, so he was the closest thing they had to an expert on anything. He was old enough now to scare off the truant patrols in the neighborhood watch. Micah had even seen him smash a bottle into an older boy's face who sold drugs in one of their alleys. Keynes pointed the gun at the man's face and told him to stop pissing himself. It was gross. The man begged him not to shoot him, and Keynes pulled the trigger. Nothing. Mechanical pieces inside the thing clicked and snapped, but no little pops came from the muzzle, and no tidy little holes appeared on the man's face. Keynes tossed the pistol back to Micah without looking. Things a fucking relic anyway, he said. He stepped forward and kicked the man where Micah had shot him in the stomach. 
The man's face, already pale and filthy, grew wider and he vomited. A surprising amount of blood now covered Keen's shoe as well. Oh, he's good as dead. You two put him you know where. Keen's pointed to Alex and Cyrus, the fourth and third oldest boys respectively, and they obediently hopped down and dragged the man off behind one of the burned-out houses. They were large, though not so large as adults, and almost indistinguishable from each other if you'd only have seen them on the street. All the kids in the neighborhood wear the plain white button-up shirts from the mission. Like Micah's own, Alex and Cyrus's shirts were a dull gray from continuous wear and washing. Micah watched the man's face as they dragged him away, slack-jawed again, his eyes wide and searching, frozen still and focused on some horror only he could see. Down there in the dirt, just past his feet, he swallowed. Don't we need to finish him? Micah asked. He hadn't heard his own voice since he'd said goodbye to his mom before leaving that morning. She was passed out in the cramped adult sleeping quarters at the front of the tenement, but she'd shrugged herself awake enough to kiss his forehead and push a grimy dollar bill into his hand. Micah hadn't even spoken when Keynes asked him if he was ready. He had just brandished the shitty little pop gun and nodded. Nah, he's gut busted, Keynes said. The older boy had dark brown eyes, nearing black, and stood a head taller than Micah. His shirt was a deep blue color because it wasn't a shirt from the missions. He'd bought it with actual money, or maybe he'd stolen it. Micah had heard stories. Keynes looked over at the kids now milling closer, sneaking out of the buildings to try and get a look at the body. He found a slender girl, maybe a few years older than Micah. Her eyes widened and she pulled hard against his hand twice before giving up and letting her arms go slack. Her name was Kelly, or Kelsey. Something with a cuh sound at the beginning, Micah knew. He also knew that Keynes wanted her because of the growing roundness on her chest. Boys like Keen had wanted Micah for the same reasons at times, even though he was a boy and he'd had to cut one of them with a soup can lid to get them to go away. Keens had thought that was funny, and now Micah was with Keens, who only liked girls like Kelly or Kelsey or whatever. What does gut-busted mean? Micah asked. Keens rolled his eyes. It means he got shot in the guts, he replied. Like, if you get hit anywhere in your belly, then shit gets in your blood and kills you. The girl squirmed in his arms and made a sour face, looking at her friends for support. The cluster of girls kneaded their hands and talked quietly amongst themselves. They reminded Mike of a pack of wild dogs he'd seen, whimpering and stamping the ground because Alex had hit one of them in the head with a brick and it had fallen down and stayed down. What kind of shit? Micah asked. His voice felt like it was somebody else's. He didn't even know why he was asking the question. Like, shit, shit, dumbass, Keen said, shaking his head. A few of the other boys laughed and one of them made a pass at the cluster of girls. They started yelling at him and then left the alley, passing sad looks back at Kelly or Kelsey or whatever. The girl watched them leave and then slumped against Keen's arm. Poop? That's gross, Micah said, looking down at the gun in his hand. He thought the guy would just fall down or something. He'd seen people after they'd been shot to death and they all looked like they were just sleeping with their eyes open, even if parts of their face or whatever was messed up. None of them ever looked like they died screaming and pissing themselves like the junkie. He wasn't even dead yet. Micah remembered. How long until he dies? Micah asked, not actually wanting to know. Like a day or so, Keen said. But he'll get all bruised looking and turn green first. Then he'll start sweating and seeing things. It takes forever. He threw a grin Micah's way. He killed him real bad, dude. Real bad. The children walked in clusters to school, keeping an eye out for kids from other neighborhoods who went to their school too. Micah hid the little gun in the letterbox of a derelict house with signs covering all the doors and windows. 
Keens followed him so he couldn't talk to Micah without the other kids hearing. He even put a hand on Micah's shoulder. You did good today, Keens said. He'd have probably told him that earlier, but he dragged sad-faced Kelly or Kelsey or whatever into one of the abandoned houses to do stuff to her. She'd come out with that look kids got when that happened to them. Her shirt stretched at the neck and her lip fat and split down left of her nose. You're one of us now, so don't fuck it up. Michael walked through the halls with a pack of kids from his neighborhood, all of them eyeing the other children and wiggling their fingers in intricate patterns at the kids who met their stares. They made a show of being loud, especially in front of the tired-eyed teachers who waited with the uniformed officers in front of their classrooms. Micah's teacher called herself Miss Melanie, but they all called her Miss Yell at Me, even though she was really nice to them. Today she talked about extinct animals, giraffes, and Molly, the last elephant, who died in a little cage in the city four years ago. He and the other neighborhood kids tried to talk over her and interrupt her, but eventually they settled down because she was talking about lions and those were neat. Mikey even pulled a scrap of paper out of his dingy backpack and tried to doodle the lion's face on it, but gave up when he couldn't get the nose quite right. He instead turned to look out the window, where a bleak stretch of blacktop led out to the broken sidewalks of the neighborhood. Birds came and landed on the chain-link fence that separated the school grounds from the rest of the world. He didn't know what kind they were, but they had thick black beaks with hard points he could imagine punching into something soft parts. Maybe it's hard parts, too. That made Micah think of the nasty little bullets in the twenty-two and how it had felt alive in his hand. Then he saw the man from the alley in the street, as though just thinking about him had summoned him. He walked in long, stumbling steps, as though he had to pick his way over islands of rock Micah couldn't see. Blood bubbled out of his mouth and over the hands clutching his stomach. The sheen of it caught the hazy sunlight leaking down through the clouds. The man turned toward the school, and even from a distance Micah could feel his bloodshot eyes falling over him. He swallowed and looked into the classroom. The other kids had gotten tired of trying to interrupt the teacher and now either watched with gape-mouthed half-attention or slept. Some of the good kids up front, the ones whose parents weren't really from the neighborhoods, happily followed along as Miss Melanie described the great Serengeti fire of 87. Micah looked back out the window, his eyes wide. The man had crossed the street and now hung off the fence, flecks of rust breaking loose over his fingers. Not a speck of clean metal remained on any of the links and Micah found himself suddenly worried that the man would break through the fence, that he would hobble across the yard and let everyone know what Micah had done. Hey, hey, Micah said to the neighborhood kid nearest to him. The boy, Darnell or maybe Tom, turned and gave him a look. Micah pointed outside the window. Hey, do you see that guy out there? The kid gave him a severe look and turned back to the teacher. Micah glared. Hey, motherfuck, you hear me? The kid turned and leapt to his feet. A second later, they were rolling end over end through desks and fluttering sheets of paper. A ring of screaming voices encircled them as Micah fought his way to the top of the scramble. The other boy ended up face down, hands covering the back of his head and then his nose as Micah smashed his face into the ground. I asked you a fucking question, he yelled. Arms like braids of heavy wire ripped him up and suddenly he was rolling ass over end into the old wooden shelves at the back of the room. His eyes found Miss Melanie. She stood over him face placid despite the knots of fist dangling from the ends of her wrists. The other boy wasn't moving, but fuck him anyway, Micah thought. Not in my classroom, Miss Melanie said, and in the calm depths of her eyes he saw something writhing past hatred, approaching fear. Fear not of him, but for something. And he realized he wasn't seeing that fear in a way that meant he understood it, could feel it and share it with her, but like those big-beaked birds outside might feel it. It was just something about the world. Something you could use if you wanted, like numbers or letters, 
it could be put together or taken apart. Micah looked at the woman standing over him and the kids standing behind her. Those goody-goody types had real faces like the kids on the screens had. Like there was something to them. Hurt and hunger hadn't colored their eyes with dark circles. Their faces were smooth and clean. His had a hair-thin line of white that went from the left side of his chin and crossed his lips in little dimples. The only thing his father had ever given him that nobody could steal. Mike had tried to look back out the window, but some of the neighborhood kids had gathered there. Their sullen faces stared back at him, a mixture of surprise, unease, and giddy elation after seeing the beating he'd given the other boy. Miss Melanie grabbed him roughly by the shoulder and turned him around. Little hands had started dragging the other boy to the side of the room. Faces he didn't know looked at Micah with fear and disgust. Fuck you anyway, he said, pushing past her and the others. He stormed out into the hall, flipping the unblinking security officers the bird as he made his way outside. He jogged to the spot in the fence where he'd seen the man standing and found nothing. Children looked out of the classroom windows at him, features occluded by the tinted glass. He ran his hand over the chain link, trying to find a speck of blood in all the rust. There was none on the ground. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom was home when he got home. They'd shared the cold leftovers of the fried chicken and pork fries that she'd eaten for lunch at work. Acid rolled in his guts as his hunger faded, brought on by the sudden realization that the food he was eating had been alive at some point as well, just like the man in the alley. Mom, he asked, how do they kill them animals before they make food out of them? 
He looked over a crunchy piece of wing and then at his mom. She stopped eating long enough to give him a mean look. Fuck you asking that for? She asked, letting her own wing dangle from the tips of her fingers, thick nails just out of reach of the grease. He repeated the question and she shook her head. Shoot him, dummy. What do you think? Micah set the chicken down and tried to tongue the taste of it out of his mouth. He imagined biting down on a little black twenty-two round embedded in the meat, and it made his tooth ache. When, though? He asked. What do you mean, when? His mother asked, pausing before taking another bite. Like, when did they shoot this one? Boy, you trying to fuck up my dinner? She snapped. He shook his head. I just want to know. Why? I just do, he said. That's it. His mother gave him another long look and then shook her head before taking another bite. Just like your father, she muttered. Won't just let shit be, huh? She held up a meatless bone and twisted it in the air before her eyes. Micah believed she was reading something he couldn't see, some secret sign. Yesterday. Micah gave the bone a worried look. Yeah, this is the colonel's chicken. Fresh as you can get, if fresh means new. I'd say they'd done this in, in yesterday. Around two, maybe 2.30. Micah grimaced and pushed his plate away from himself. His mother smiled and took the remaining chicken off his plate. They gotta make it fresh, she said. Fresh is good. You wait a couple days and it'll turn all green. No bad, start to smell. Micah frowned and tried to eat the pork fries, not seeing the look his mother gave him. Matter of fact, probably didn't even shoot them birds. Birds are small. They probably just knocked them over the head. Now pigs. Pigs they shoot. Big old shotgun, right between the eyes. Bang, she added. Micah pushed his plate away, but he still glared at her when she ate his pork fries. Micah woke in the middle of the night. Orange glow from the city colored the walls and part of the mat he slept on. His blankets lay askew, half soaked with sweat. His breath felt slow and rhythmic, like he wasn't actually breathing. More like somebody had a hand on each lung and just pumping them squeeze after squeeze. He couldn't move, couldn't breathe outside of the suffocating rhythm. Some cloying stink like black eggs or fresh dog shit tinged the air. Only his eyes seemed capable of movement, though it was ponderous and he had trouble focusing. Something black rattled in the corner of the room. Rattled and made a splitting, sloshing noise like a bag full of rotten garbage torn by a fence. Something there in the dark. Just beyond the snatch of orange thrown through the window. Something slumped in the corner and oddly distorted by laying, like bundles of wet cloth bound in twine. A trio of holes floated in the darkness, fissures in the fabric of the night that led to somewhere deeper than black, to something empty and sucking and endless. The bottom hole yawned open and the sulfur stink in the room increased. It clotted the air like milk and heat. Micah tried to breathe and found he still couldn't. His chest rose and fell in mechanical rhythm, up and down and up. A rattling squeal found his lips, tickled his throat. Tears ran down his face. The hole opened wider, wider. He could feel it tugging on him now, pulling him in toward its mass, dragging him across the bedroom floor. The windows rattled in their frames as though a storm was building outside. The storm was building. The shivering panes of glass distorted the light on the floor and walls into shuddering pools of orange. The mouth grew and swallowed everything. Micah skulked along the street, keeping his eyes low. They burned from bad sleep and not eating. He felt paper thin, ready to fly away on the breeze. 
He'd forgotten the little twenty-two after school the day before, and now he couldn't find it. He needed it. Needed anything in his hands. Now he had a little blade of glass and tape that he'd hidden in the alley outside his apartment a few months earlier. Worst of all was the smell following him. Sickly, sweet, and rotten, it curled in his insides. Made him feel like he'd shit himself and thrown up at the same time. The fat-lipped girl Keens had dragged into the abandoned house the other day gave him a nasty look before flitting off down some alley. He followed her, figuring she was probably headed for Keens. They always went back the next day. Keens sat atop the roof of the burned-out sedan, just a few yards from where they'd shot the guy. The ground was too littered with paint chips and leaves and bottle glass for Micah to find any trace of blood, any evidence of what had been done. Keen smiled when he saw Micah, but that wasn't really a good thing. Keen smiled a lot. Keen's never really stopped smiling. Micah, he said. What are you doing here? Ain't you got school today? School ain't until eight, Micah said, nervously looking around. Other kids he looked at, never broke eye contact with, but not Keen's. Keen's liked you afraid. You think I give a fuck about you going to school, bitch? Keens yelled suddenly. Micah jumped. The fuck you want, bitch? That guy I shot, Micah said. I just want to make sure. Make sure. Make sure, you know, Micah said. He paused. That he's dead. The fuck? Keens asked, jumping down off the car. Fuck's your deal, boy? Nothing, Micah said, backing up quickly. I just wanted to make sure. I thought I saw him yesterday, you know, after. Keen slapped him across the face so hard that Micah fell on the ground. The rotten smell mixed with that of his own blood. Motherfucker, Keen said, looking up at the sky and holding his right hand in front of his chest like a knife. I ain't gonna have you saying shit like that to me ever the fuck again. Ever the fuck again. That motherfucker is dead and rotting and that's all you need to know. If he was kneeling here sucking my dick, he'd be dead because I said so. You fucking get me? I I saw him, Keens. I fucking saw... Keens' foot caught him just under his chin, cracking his teeth together. He came to on the ground, sucking wind as Keens kicked him over and over again. The nasty egg smell had gotten worse. It filled his head and his lungs between every kick. He puked and Keens cursed at him. I'm not going to hear any more about this shit, Keens said. You understand that, bitch? He kicked Micah a final time and then jumped back onto the car. You still useful? Don't get it twisted. But I ain't gonna hear about that shit from you one more time. I'll chalk it up to nerves on account of you're just a young one. But I find out you're running your gums. That's it, bitch. He waved the hand. Now get out of here before I change my mind. Micah stood and stumbled through the alleys until he reached the school. The smell was all around him now, and he turned back more than once thinking he'd seen the gutshot man's shadow touching his own. He saw the face in his mind clear as day, sagging and gray-green from sickness. The jaw was wide and slack like a loop of cord fixed just beneath his nose. The space behind his eyes and lips were black and deep, like the mouths of caves. Micah stopped by the letterbox in the front of the old house again and the gun still wasn't there. He went so far as to check the spaces around it on the porch and even crawled in through a broken window to look inside the house. Nothing. The floorboards of the porch were shrunken, cracked, and missing in places. He could see bars of weak sunlight on the ground between the slats. Maybe there. He jumped down off the porch, which sat just a few feet off the ground, and looked for an entrance. He could see other things in there. 
Shapes of long abandoned gardening equipment and bags of something that had long since rotted through, spilling whatever it was out in a wide mound. Rusted latches on the far side held a camouflage door shut. He opened it and had to force the rotten steel. Light bounced off something black and greasy looking at the far end of the crawl space. The gun. It had to be. He crawled in on his hands and knees, scrabbling over loose dirt and rocks that dug into his skin. The split bags of whatever smelled like death, but he didn't care. He just wanted the gun back. Something slammed behind him and Micah whipped his head around, falling on his side to get a better look. The fence door had shut, blocking him in. Darkness covered the slats where light should have been. Something was there. He swallowed and turned, crawling further into the space. He needed the gun, but when he got to where he thought he'd seen it, there was nothing. Micah slapped the ground around him frantically, spreading stale dirt and blind spiders around in a broad arc. Nothing. He growled and punched the ground, hissing when the lip of a sharp rock cut into his knuckle. Something shifted in the dark behind him, a dragging sound like a sack of dirt had grown arms. Micah held the injury up to the light and saw blood glittering in a path down the back of his hand. Movement again. Micah turned and saw the shape shambling toward him, the outlines of long fingers and the bars of sunlight leaking through the slats overhead. He backed up, looking around the space for an exit. Hey, he said, his voice small and childish. Hey, I, I got a knife. He pulled the little glass and tape shiv out of his pocket and then dropped what was left of it. Keens had kicked it to splinters when he'd gotten mad at Micah earlier. It was a miracle he hadn't been cut by them already. He still pretended like he had something in his hand. You... Fuck off, man. I fucking mean it. I'll, I'll fucking kill you. Arms passed into the slats of light, shuddering as they pulled their burden. Micah made out a fringe of stringy hair in the outline of a face. The man, he was sure it was a man, made no sound but a strangled rattle. The hiss of a throat too dry for sound. Then he could see him, and Micah screamed. The shape in the darkness was the man he'd shot, but stretched and decayed. His face was the green-gray he'd imagined, but also waxy and dotted in beads of some awful fluid like sweat. His jaw hung low and wide, lips somehow fleshy despite being stretched to the width of a small bowl. Micah raised a hand to defend himself and the thing wrapped its long fingers around his arm, dragging the bloody knuckles into his mouth and suckling at them. Micah tried to push the man away, but it crawled atop him, pushing his kicking legs back over his head so that its fat gut rested on his bottom. Micah groaned and tried to get his hand out of the thing's mouth, but it held tight. The opening felt like oily sandpaper and little invisible teeth like fish hooks bit into him. Micah managed to get his foot under the thing's chin, and he kicked its skull into the bottom of the porch. It released his grip on him and he flipped over, pushing against the side of the porch. He leapt into the dark, trying to crawl around the thing as its greasy hand slid over the fabric of his pants. Micah managed to pull away and crawl to the far side of the crawl space. It closed the distance between them as he tried to bash open the rusted door. Fingers pinched his calves and thighs, too many of them, a dozen hands dragging him back into the dark. Then the little door snapped off its hinges and fell onto the dry scrub grass. Micah clawed at the dirt to move forward, kicking backward to break the thing's grip on his legs. He felt his pants getting pulled down around his ankles, and the sun warming his ass, his thighs. Then the hands were gone and he was rolling around in the dirt, tears streaking his face as he curled up on himself and cried. When he finally turned to look, the crawlspace was empty. Micah sneaked through the abandoned buildings beside the alley where he killed the man. He had to know. Had to make sure. He watched Keens from a fourth-floor window as the boy rubbed his hands over a young girl. 
He pulled her dress up slightly, whispering in the girl's ears and exposing a patch of light brown thigh. Micah would wait until he'd gone, then sneak down and try to find the body. Keens dragged the girl off and Micah watched him go. He climbed down to the second story through a hole in the floor, scratching his stomach on a piece of rebar as he went. The third floor of the old apartment was almost completely dark, save for at the end of the hallway he'd dropped into. Part of the wall was missing there where it had fallen away into the alley. Micah walked to it carefully. The remaining chunk of floor leading to the hole was just as ready to collapse. Vibrations followed his every step until he was looking over the edge to the floor below. He would slide down, and then drop to the second floor and then the first floor the same way. The hole in the wall had torn the building apart down to the ground, leaving a sheer lip he could drop onto between floors. He lowered himself onto his stomach, and then let his legs dangle over the hole. Then, he carefully pushed himself backward until he was dangling from his fingers. He smelled it as soon as he saw it, the green face of the dead man moving toward him out of the darkness. It stumbled toward him, clawing into the light with fingers of slack flesh. Micah screamed and lost his grip, falling into nothing. No sun in the alley. Hands pulling him along and no sun in the alley. Gray light and colorless eyes everywhere. His people, the neighborhood kids staring at him from their places in the broad circle, from the windows and cracks and alleyway corners. Keen stood beside that girl, the one whose name he could never seem to remember. She glared at Micah, but he could see something in her eyes that made him think she didn't mean it, that she needed to look like that. Keens looked at him, shrugged, and handed the girl the gun. She raised it, squinted down the barrel, and pulled the trigger. Pinpricks of light bloomed in Micah's stomach and chest, blooming into burning cores of pain that doubled him over. He tried to cry out and couldn't. The girl walked over at Keen's urging and put the gun to Micah's head, but it wouldn't fire. Micah's mouth had gone completely dry. He looked up at her and tried to say something. He didn't know what. He watched Keens come up, take the little pop gun out of her hands and throw it away into the crowd. A group of other children broke off from the ring to chase it down. I told you, Keens said. Told you what had happened. He gestured to Alex and Cyrus, who came and gathered Micah up by the arms. He saw Keens push a grimy dollar bill into the girl's hand and then he was being dragged away. They didn't go far, just around the corner to a metal hatch set in the floor of the alley, the entrance to some long-forgotten cellar. Alex and Cyrus opened the doors and the smell made him gag, despite the pain of the nasty little twenty-two rounds rolling around in his guts. They threw him down in the dark without ceremony. He was only distantly aware of the feeling of his limbs bruising and breaking as he rolled down the stairs. The doors closed over him, leaving a lone, slanting line of orangish light for him to see. He groaned. The green man lay beside him, eyes little more than black pits. His wide, toothless mouth hung open. Micah tried to move away, but couldn't. He watched the mouth widen, heard the creaking of the dried, rotting ligaments in the man's neck creak as it turned its head toward him. And again he heard that thin, rattling noise as it rolled onto its hands and knees to put its face over his but the noise didn't come from the green man. No, the noise didn't come from the green man. Well, that was the green man. Did you like it? Have you ever done something that so haunted you, you could almost feel the guilt of it creeping up on you in the dark? You might not want to share that exactly. But don't hesitate to reach out to us by email or social media to let us know what you think. We love hearing from fans, and you're no exception. You can reach us at westsidefairytales at gmail.com. 
at WS Fairy Tales on Twitter and Westside Fairy Tales on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you're new and want to catch up on more episodes or just want to share this podcast with a friend, all of our episodes are free on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. We're a small podcast, so if you could leave a review and help spread the word about the Westside Fairy Tales, we'd very much appreciate it. The Westside Fairy Tales will return next month with the story Child of Sparrows, the story of a woman's troubled relationship with her mother, and how and why she joined her boyfriend on a rip-roaring crime spree out of Blunt, West Virginia. Our episodes drop on the first Friday of every month now, so set your calendars for March 2nd. And, until then, stay safe out there. Westside Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. All content herein is copyright 2018, Tyler Bell. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, 
former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast, due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.